are listening to the Akron Abide Bible Study Podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash But as we come to the end of Paul's letter, we discover one more description. One more description of this book, and that's number seven, a thank you letter. This is a thank you letter because in Philippians chapter four and verses 14 through 23, the apostle Paul basically writes a thank you note to this church. He's writing to thank them for their generous financial gift. And that's really the context of the book of Philippians. The context of this book, the theme of this book would be joy and it would be generosity. Joy from the Apostle Paul, generosity from the church at Philippi. You see, the Philippian church loved Paul. The Philippian church cared for Paul. They loved him so much. And so once they got word that Paul was on house arrest in Rome, they thought to themselves, man, how can we help? What can we do to help the man that we love, our former pastor? How can we help? And so they pooled their money and their resources together, and they decided to send one of their church members, a man by the name of Epaphroditus, to deliver this gift and to assist Paul in the ministry. Now get this, Epaphroditus had to travel over 800 miles, which was roughly six weeks of travel to reach Rome where Paul was located. And then after Epaphroditus was there and and helped Paul in the ministry for a season, Paul wrote this letter as thanks and sent Epaphroditus back to Philippi to deliver this message. And with that in mind, the Apostle Paul concludes his letter by commending them for living generously. Because this was an unbelievably generous church. Can you imagine sending somebody to go do that? Sending somebody to give you those resources and that time and and that energy, it was a generous act by this local church. And so that being said, let's look at Paul's closing comments, his thank you note to the church of Philippi. Philippians chapter four and verses 14 through 23. We covered a couple of these verses earlier, but to understand the context, we need to read it all. We'll start on verse number 14. Notice what the Bible says there. And Jeff, would you want to hit next after each verse? Because it'll be hard for me to follow along with it all. Philippians chapter four and verse number 14 to begin. The Bible says, notwithstanding ye have done well that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire gifts, but I desire fruits that may abound to your accounts. But I have all and abound, I am full having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice, acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And then we come to our text verse today. The Bible says in verse 19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever, amen. Salute every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren which are with me greet you. All the saints salute you, chiefly they that are of Caesar's household, and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's the end of the book. That's the end of the book of Philippians. That's how the Apostle Paul concludes one of the greatest books of all time. And as we read these verses, we discover that this church, man, really is the epitome of what generous giving and living looks like. They show us how to live generously. But the Apostle Paul doesn't stop there. No, he continues. We also learn when we continue these verses 
that living generously brings incredible blessings. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at those two truths today in Philippians chapter 4 to close this wonderful book. Now, I told you that this was part two of our message, right? Part one we covered last week. We dealt with verses 14 through 18 of Philippians chapter 4. And in those verses, we learned three lessons on generous living. We learned that generous living meets real needs. Generous living produces real fruits. And generous living is an act of real worship. We learned those lessons by looking at the church at Philippi. But there is one more lesson to cover before we wrap up this book. And that's this. Generous living trusts in real promises. Living and giving generously, living the godly, generous life of the Lord trusts in the almighty promises of God. And that's what I want to zero in on for the remainder of this message today. And let me ask you something. Can you guess the topic that God makes the most promises about in his word? Can you guess? I'll give you a hint. It's not faith. It's not love. It's not prayer. You want to know what it is? It's generosity. It's living the generous life. There are more promises concerning generous living than anything else. And that truth is strengthened when we look at our text today. You see, in Philippians chapter 4, we are promised that five things will occur when we live generously. You'll be blessed. You will be a blessing. You will make an eternal impact. You will lay up treasures in heaven. And God will supply your need. Now, the first four promises are found in the verses that we've covered so far, the verses that we looked at last week. But the fifth promise is found in our text verse say, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I just got to say, man, that's an incredible verse. That is an awesome verse. Of the 7,000 promises that we can cling to and that we can rejoice in in the word of God, that one just might be at the top of my list. That is a verse that we can claim today. I like what James Montgomery Boyce said on Philippians 4.19. He said this. He said, we come now to what is perhaps the greatest promise in the entire Bible. And it is great because it includes all the other promises in itself. And I think that's a great way to put it. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. You see, this verse includes all the other promises in Philippians chapter 4, and this verse includes all the other promises in the Word of God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What an awesome promise, man. What a great verse. But remember now, when it comes to God's Word, context is key. We can't just cherry-pick promises. We need to understand the context. So let me ask today, how do we understand the context of a passage? Well, it's very simple. You look at the verses before and the verses after. That's the way to understanding the context. So let's look at the verse before, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18. The Apostle Paul says, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So by looking at those verses and the verses that we covered last week, we learned that this verse is dealing with sacrificial giving, the gift that the church at Philippi gave to the Apostle Paul from Epaphroditus. Now, with that in mind, let's look at verse 19. After that, he says this, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He says, But my God. The opening conjunction, but used there in verse 19 really is the key to understanding this promise. 
You see, the Philippians were in need. The Philippians were by no means a rich church. They were in poverty, and they didn't know if they had the provisions to keep on going as a church or to keep on going as individuals. Yet we find out that they neglected their own needs to supply what Paul needed to advance the gospel. And now because of their generosity, Paul assures these saints that God has not forgotten their needs. To summarize this verse, Paul says this. He says, you might my need, so God's going to meet your needs. That's what he's saying. You met one need that I had, but God is going to meet all the needs that you have. You gave out of your poverty, but God is going to supply you out of his riches. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And here's the bottom line today. The bottom line is this. Generous Christians are people who live on the promise that God will meet their needs. That's what generous living is. Generous Christians are people who live on the promise that God will meet their needs because the only way you're going to get out of your comfort zone and, and be a generous person is if you fully believe that God is going to meet your needs, right? Because the other way of living is saying, man, I, I don't, I don't want to give because I don't know if I'll need it later, right? But the faithful Christian says, hey, I'm going to give because I trust that God will meet my needs. And that's the promise here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. And that is a beautiful, amazing promise that we can cling to. This is a promise that we like to put on coffee mugs. This is a promise that we like to hang up in our home. This is a promise that we like to memorize. And because of that, I think we forget how awesome this verse actually is. So for the remainder of the message today, let's truly break down this verse. Let's parse this verse word by word so we can really understand the magnitude of the greatest promise in the Bible. All right, so to close it, we're going to look at three truths found in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. I want you to notice number one, the source of the promise. The source of the promise to begin. We see the inexhaustible source of the promise right off the bat in the first few verses of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. Look at what he says. He says, but my God shall supply all your need. He says, God. Hey, standing at the very head of this verse is the one who pledges to meet all the needs of his people. And you want to know who that is? That's Almighty God, right? God is the one that is providing this promise here in Philippians 4.19. It's not the Apostle Paul. It's not the Apostle Paul's hope for. He's saying, hey, God will provide your needs. And when we look at this verse, we learn some things about the God of this promise. We learn some things about the God that we serve, and I love this. We find out that our God that we serve, our God that promised us this, man, he's a personal God. Dude, he is so personal. The verse begins with Paul speaking of God, the Father, in the most personal terms ever. How does he begin? He says, but my God, but my God. And that verse teaches us something today. That teaches us that, that God is not just a God, and God is not just the God, no, the Christian boldly declares that God is my God through saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this makes him personal to every single one of us today. Think about this now. God is so precious that Paul spoke of him possessively in verse 19. Yet every single Christian can call the Father my God. The Church of Philippi can say my God. The Apostle Paul can say 
my God, and you and I today can say with a glad shout, my God can supply all of our needs. He is a personal God that we can cling to. We can have a personal relationship with the God of the Bible, the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. And it's that personal God who has promised to meet our needs. And understand this now, having a personal God makes this promise all the more reliable. It really does because a personal God is a God who cares for you. A personal God is a God who loves you. A personal God is a God who knows exactly what you need. It reminds me of the 23rd Psalm, Psalm 23 and verse one. The psalmist said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hey, we have a personal shepherd today. We have a personal God that has promised to meet our needs. He's personal. But not only is God personal, we also find out number two, man, God is powerful. The God of this promise is a powerful God. Look at verse 19 again. He says, but my God shall supply all your need. Three words that stick out to me there. We see the word God, we see the word shall, will, and we see the word supply. In other words, the source of the promise is the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-sufficient, sovereign Lord. That's who's in control. Not just a God, the all-powerful God. This is the God of the promise here. And our God is limitless in his resources and vast in his supply in what he can provide. In fact, one of the names of God is actually the name Jehovah Jireh. You wanna know what that means? That literally means the Lord will provide. You wanna know what that tells us? That tells us it is the very nature of God to provide for his church and to provide for his people. He is the powerful God who will provide for your needs. He's personal, he's powerful. And then number three, and God has proven. He's not only the powerful God, he's not only the personal God, but he has proved himself again and again and again in God's word and in your life. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says all the promises of God are yes and amen in him, they're truth. He cannot lie. And Malachi 3.6 says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Hey, all of that testifies to the fact that God has proven. And that's what we see here in verse 19. He says, but my God shall supply all your need. Man, there's the sureness of it right there. He shall supply. Notice, he doesn't say my God might supply. Or, or my God could supply, maybe if you do good. No, he says, my God will supply. My God shall supply. That's what he says. And it's interesting. If you look up the phrase shall supply in the Greek there, it means to fill to the full, to fill to the fullest extent. And if you look at it, you find out that it's written in the future tense, active voice, and dicative mood. You can say, Michael, what does that mean? Well, to put it in simplest terms, that means it's a statement of fact. This is a fact that we can cling to. He shall, he will supply. That's what that means. In other words, God promises here to meet your needs to the fullest. God promises here to provide for you no matter what. He does exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, and we can rejoice about that. God promises you that he will bring this promise to pass, and God promises to you right here that he is actually right now in the process of doing it. 
That's what that verse means. It is a statement of fact. He is actively doing it. And he says, you can cling to this right now. You can take this promise to the bank. The source of the promise is incredible. And that's number one. But then number two, I want you to notice the sufficiency of the promise. Man, this is so good. You see, just as God's grace is sufficient, I want you to know that God's promises are sufficient. And as we look at verse 19, there is a twofold affirmation regarding the sufficiency of God to provide. And the first affirmation is this. He says, all your need. But my God shall supply all your need. That's what he says. Again, he doesn't say, my God shall supply some of your need. Or my God shall supply most of your need. I would even like that promise. Most of my need, that's great. No, he says, my God shall supply all, (laughs) all of your need. What does that mean? It means this promise is all-inclusive. All your need means just that, all your need. That verse tells us that God himself will meet every need the generous Christian has, right? God has promised to meet our physical needs, our spiritual needs, our emotional needs, our personal needs, our financial needs, our relational needs, everything. But my God shall supply all your need. The sufficiency of the promise, that first affirmation, all your need. I can rejoice about that, but he's not done. There's a second phrase that sticks out to me. It's the phrase, according to his riches. According to his riches. Look at verse 19. He says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches. That phrase describes to us the measure of God's supply. Consider this. Paul does not say out of his riches. No, he says according to his riches. And that is something that we really need to understand today because there is a vast difference between those two phrases. It's kind of like this. If a millionaire writes a check for $100 and says, here's $100, that would be out of his riches. But if the millionaire says, man, I know you got a need, you just fill in the blank, whatever it is, go ahead. That would be according to his riches. God is saying, according to his riches here. Paul is saying, according to his riches. God's giving would be in proportion to his vast resources. And I want you to know today, God's glorious riches, man, they are inexhaustible. There is no limit to the riches of almighty God. He is totally sufficient to meet every need that arises in your life because what? He's God, right? The source of the promise, the sufficiency of the promise, they go hand in hand. They make me rejoice. But the number three, notice the sphere of the promise. The sphere of the promise. To close out this verse, Paul describes to us how safe and secure these riches are that are available to you and me. And notice with me two prepositional phrases that follow. Look at verse 19 as a whole now. He says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. We see the words in glory and we see the words by Christ Jesus. Those two phrases describe to us the sphere of this promise. Notice the location. Number one, he says in glory. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. The preposition in there identifies for us the location, right? His riches, the riches that will help us supply all of our need. Where are they? 
they're in glory, right? In other words, this is the address. This is where the riches are preserved. Now, what does glory mean? Well, the word glory simply means heaven. So our riches are in heaven. God's riches are in glory. And the point that Paul is trying to make when he says that in verse 19 is this. These riches which are available to us are so safe. These riches that are available to us are so safe that they are reserved in glory, ready to be distributed by God in a moment's notice. That's what that's saying. Dr. Stephen Lawson put it this way. He said, because these riches are in glory, that means there is no recession that will ever diminish their value. There is no economic downturn that will ever take place. There are no thieves that will ever break in and there is no rust that will ever corrupt. These riches are safe and sound in glory. And the reason why they're safe and sound in this place called glory is because when they are in glory, they are in the very hand of God. That's why they are before his throne of grace. They are in the treasury vaults of heaven and therefore they are untouched and undiminished by the things of this world. And get this, because the promise is in the future tense, active voice, indicative mood, shall supply, that means that these riches are in glory, in the hand of God, and waiting to be supplied in a moment's notice as God hears the prayer of his people and sees the need in their life. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory. That's why we can claim that today. That's why we can rejoice in that promise today. But here's the kicker. It all goes back to one thing. And that one thing is ultimately the theme of the book of Philippians, what we've covered for the last 25 weeks, and that is ultimately the theme of the entire Bible. And you wanna know what that is? That is the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Look at verse 19. He says, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. That verse tells us that God has put all his riches in glory at the disposal of his son, Jesus Christ. That means Jesus is the mediator of these riches. Jesus is the distributor of these riches. And Jesus is the key to God meeting all your needs. And that's the beauty of this book. That's the beauty of giving. That's the beauty of Jesus Christ. You see, I want you to know today, the generous Christian lives on the promise of Philippians 4.19, not because he's generous. No, because he's in Jesus Christ. That's what it goes back to. He's in Jesus Christ. Because when you are in Christ, you have everything you would ever need. And therefore you are going to live. You are going to give generously because God has supplied all your needs. We see a similar verse in Ephesians chapter one and verse three. I love this verse. The Bible says, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. I don't know about you, but that verse sounds pretty familiar. Ephesians 1.3 says, all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You want to know what verse 19 of Philippians chapter 4 says? All riches are in heavenly places in Christ. All blessings, all riches in heaven, in glory, in Christ. And therefore, when we are in Christ, 
we have everything we ever need. Man, think about this for a second. In Jesus Christ, we have a love that can never be fathomed, a life that can never die, a righteousness that can never be tarnished, a peace that can never be understood, a rest that can never be disturbed, a joy that can never be diminished, a hope that can never be disappointed, a glory that can never be clouded, a light that can never be darkened, a purity that can never be defiled, a beauty that can never be marred, a wisdom that can never be baffled, and resources that can never be exhausted. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Man, no wonder the Apostle Paul breaks out in praise a verse later after he says verse 19. That's exactly what he does. He closes by saying, now unto God and our Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You look at that verse, you find out that that is a doxology by the Apostle Paul. So as the Apostle Paul reflected on the generosity of the church at Philippi caring for him, and as he reflected on the fact that God is going to take care of that church and that God is going to be there for them no matter what comes their way, he could not help but lift up his hands and praise the Lord for the almighty God that he served. He could not help but break out in song, worshiping our Savior. And so to close this book and to close this sermon this morning, I'd like us all to stand and cry out in praise to God for what he's done for us. Let's all stand.